Welcome to Living on Purpose. I'm Mark Pumphrey, along with my co-host, Dr. Christy Stewart, coming to you from the Circle City, Indianapolis, Indiana. And you know, we got a really great show today. He was originally supposed to make Black History Month, but he did not make the cut, unfortunately. We did swap him out for Condoleezza Rice because we wanted to have that, that even ratio, men and women, for Black History Month. But he is a great, great American, at least in my opinion. And we did want to put it show together for him, right? Right. I think that he is a true patriot. He is. Uh, representing America, the United States, and is just a true, uh, good, I think a good man. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're going to talk today about how he started really from nothing and went to one of the highest platforms that you can have. I guess that, that would be correct. He and Condoleezza Rice were the two highest rated political figures, black political figures in history until Barack Obama. Mm-hmm. And today we're going to talk about Colin Powell. Yeah, I'm to, and hey, if he is listening, which I'm sure he is, but <laughs> if he right. is listening, you know, we wanted to get you in on Black History Month, but, you know, we did want that <laughs> even <laughs> ratio. I but... made the choice to swap him out with Condoleezza Rice because <laughs> I thought that uh, we wanted to do, again, two women and two men for right. the month of February. and But it is important yeah. to talk about him because... I mean, my gosh, you know, when we went through Condoleezza Rice's history, my, I did not know all that stuff yeah, about her. Yeah, a concert pianist she Yeah, is. exactly. <laughs> so, right. you know, why do we not do this more often when we're talking about people of history that are living today? Right. And we're, today we're going to talk about his 13 rules of leadership. Mm-hmm. I got the list from the Center for Executive Excellence. And uh, so I thought, you know, yeah, let's just pop this in... Uh, in today, since it didn't well, make it in the month of February. Yeah, because, I mean, we could all use good advice. And from somebody so far up, it took him to have a lot of advice from other people to get where he right. got. Exactly. And the thing is, I had a conversation the other day with someone about leadership mm-hmm. and, and its definition or lack thereof. And that's <laughs> what kind of got me into, okay, let's do this show now. Because, again, that sparked... My other people's interested. Leadership as a, a discipline does not have a set definition. Hmm. Okay. As opposed to other disciplines that that do, like management has a set definition of what management is. Um, leadership is still kind of finding its place in that. But Colin Powell's definition of leadership is: leadership is the art of accompanying more than the science of management says is possible. Okay. And that's okay. Yeah. I like mine better. <laughs> uh, mine is, and I, and I, because that's what my doctor is in, is right, mm-hmm. is in leadership, leadership. So I had to have my own leadership definition. And mine is leadership is the ability to engage people in a relationship that influences them to take action towards a common goal for a higher good. Okay, that's, yeah, that's more. So, I like it better. Yes, you do. I, I can see why you would, because it's a little bit more robust. It's a, it has a little bit more meat to it. Yeah, I can definitely get behind that. Because leadership and management are, in fact, two completely different disciplines. And we have talked about that, and i got to tell you, it does not sink in. Because management thinks that they're leaders, and some leaders just manage, you know, and I and and I think it's important for people to quite frankly understand the difference, right? Right, and people do use them interchangeable. Yes, but they are two completely different things. And many people say uh, flippantly, right? 
that leadership, you know, when they're referring to upper management in their organization. Mm -hmm. uh, but those are generally managers. Those are generally not leaders. Let's look at the definition of a manager. Really, is a person responsible for controlling the activities, business dealings, or actions of another person. So I think controlling is the key in this definition, and it usually is top-down instruction, right? Somebody is telling you to do something. Right. Somebody is telling you to do something or referring to a policy and procedures manual or the company says, I, you have to do this or that. That is management. That is not leadership. It's, again, leadership, as we have said, is a relationship between a leader and a follower, and the leader has the influence, not the control, right? A leader has influence. A manager has control. Those are the big differences. If you can just think about that for a minute, the definition of leadership that's most common is the ability to get somebody to do what you want them to do because they want to do it. Okay. okay. Again, you're influencing them. You're modeling the way you're getting somebody to do something that you want them to do, but you're not telling them to do it. Mm -hmm. They're doing it of their own free will. Okay. They're not afraid for their job or afraid they're going to get fired or afraid they're going to get demoted or afraid they're going to get written up to do it. They're doing it willingly because they want to. Oh. Again, control and management is because you're telling them to. They're pushing a policy, a procedure, you know, some right. kind of manual on you, and they're monitoring, you know, your time, your effort, whatever that is. They're, I guess in a best way to right. describe it, that they're categorizing it they're giving you metrics for it and things right. of that the metrics nature. all those things those are going to be management and management has a place good managers have a place right i can see that well because you have to have those kinds of things in order mm -hmm. to run a successful business or whatever it is i mean even if you're a stay-at-home parent you have to manage the household right you know right. and you lead your children to become better adults you know so i i, I get exactly if you can, yeah if you can take it kind of in that that picture i mean your kid still needs to have chores but you know you want to teach them how to be a good human being right you want to get your kids to do what's theirs to do not because they have to but because they realize that they are important to the unit of the family right you can still pay them the five dollars in their allowance there's a there's a big argument out there that you shouldn't pay your kids to do chores because they they should be active participants in the household unit. Hey, that's what my parents went with. <laughs> there you go. Well, and it's interesting, and I think that it is good to note to give people a perspective that another thing that comes with leadership and comes with understanding this concept, I think, is that people use the terms teams and groups interchangeably as well. Hmm. And they are as drastically different as management and leadership, but we use them differently. I think we've done a couple shows talking about the difference of this, but well, um, remind us because I, I, you know, we definitely need to be reminded of things often, right? right? Well, Cause we say words matter. Sure. They right. Do, yeah. So whether it's leadership or management or teams versus groups, what you say, and because they are different, um, subtle differences, but they are different. Let's say, you, we say you have a basketball team, you don't have a basketball group, <laughs> right? True, you yeah. have a special interest group, you don't have a special interest team. Well, that's true. Okay? Yeah. okay. And because subtly we understand that there are differences. Groups are two or more people that are just simply forming a unit. They likely have the same overall objective, right? The, the company has a vision 
but they work independently. Usually one person facilitates the group and runs the meeting, right? Your manager of the group mm-hmm. one is top down. One person assigning the tasks to other people. You have an ongoing uh, group. Um, you might have a group that has accountants. You have salespeople. You have manufacturing. You have human resources. Those are all groups within your organization that work independently. Okay. Right? If a goal's not met in manufacturing, that's likely not going to affect anything in your accounting department. That's true. Yep. But a team is a collection of people working towards a common goal, right? A leader is a facilitator, not directing necessarily the work of the group. Uh, The teams have discussions and team members disperse the work generally equally among, and they all have the same responsibility of that group. Like on a basketball team, right? Each person may have their own responsibilities. You have a point guard, a center, and, you know, maybe a a floating guard or something. Mm -hmm. So they all have their own independent thing. But if one person fails, it's going to affect the whole team. One person doesn't do their part, it's going to affect the whole team. In a work team, uh, again, you have team representing each department, but they're all working towards a common goal. So if one fails, the other fails as well. Right, it's one thing. So you put work teams together. Again, teams—they're all working towards the common goal, mm-hmm. and those generally are represented from individuals from individual groups. Somebody from accounting, somebody from marketing, somebody from manufacturing—all working towards a new policy or a new procedure, a new something. That if one of them fails, the whole team fails. Gotcha. But they're representatives from each group. I can see that, So though. it does make a difference. Yeah, because, I mean, even if you're talking about a professional basketball team, the team is playing basketball, but you have maintenance on the building, you have concessions, you have right. HR, you have accounting, you know. I mean, it it is a business other than the, just the basketball team itself. So when the team is playing, they're trying to win, working together to, you know, finish a common goal, but... The air conditioner still needs to work. You know, hot dogs still need to get to the people. Right, exactly. You know, and bills still need to be paid, so you have to have an accountant. So those groups come together to, you And know. I think it's a lot easier to see that than it is talking about work groups or work teams, you know. But it's interesting that, you know, in my opinion, your secretary, right, or the CEO secretary mm-hmm. or the you know, person that's hanging out the water cooler, your mailroom person. A lot of times those people have more influence and more leadership than your CEO. Mm. People are easily more identified with those people. They interact with them more and they can, they can get a raw, raw going or they can really <laughs> start uh, spinning the, the crap inside your organization that really brings down morale and so forth, as opposed to your CEO. You know, they may stand up there and do a rah-rah session and may really not influence anybody. That's a very good point because I got to tell you, everybody knows a person like that. That's right. They're the person that are actually leading the best leaders or the most influential leaders within your organization are the ones that can get people to do something. Mm -hmm. Not because they have to, but because they want to, good or bad. Yeah, I was going to say, because you have Bob and accounting or maintenance you know is starting all kinds of crap where sally gets things done because she everything flows through her Mm -hmm. you know and she knows how you can go to sally and get a question answered and things like that so yeah i definitely can see that because i i mean how many times have you been with 
the president, the CEO, the whatever. And they're doing that rah-rah stuff. You know, I, I can remember being at a company and same thing. You know, they're jumping up on stage and hooping and hollering. You're, Man, when's this stuff going to be done so I can get back right. to work? You know? and, well, and even if you do get all, all excited and pumped up, it's generally not long-term. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's yeah. a crash, right? You're all hot, hot and heavy up at the beginning, but then you go back to work and it's just your job. Right, <laughs> you know? exactly. So that So if people could just kind of see the difference. And so when we start talking about Colin Powell's 13 rules of leadership, that's what we're talking about. Okay. About those things that influence other people. So influence is the key word. Here. Right. As opposed to control. Okay. Because there with is that. a difference. Again, we're talking about Colin Powell, but I don't know much about the man and I'm sure that a lot of people don't. So what did you find out about him? Because he's an iconic figure. And we should know a little bit more about him. <laughs> well, and he has a couple books that I guess are really good. I've not read them, but I hear that they're pretty good. Well, there you go. Well, first of all, he's an American politician. We know that, right? He was a diplomat, and he's a retired four-star general. He was the 65th Secretary of State. And prior to the election of President Obama, Powell and his successor, Condoleezza Rice, were the highest-ranking African Americans in history. Uh, especially in political history, right? Mm -hmm. It's interesting. I did not know this. He was born in Harlem and raised in the South Bronx. I would have not guessed that. Which back in that day was uh, really a rough place to be. Mm -hmm. I think today, not so much. But his parents were immigrants from Jamaica. Didn't know that either. I, You know, for somebody who gained this kind of stature, he went to public schools in New York City. He graduated from City College of New York as an average C student. Really? Yes. So really. A little bit of a different uh, comparison to Condoleezza Rice there. <laughs> yeah. He was a professional soldier in the Army for 35 years, and he oversaw 28 national crises during his 35-year career, and he retired as a four-star general. So for those people that say that you can't rise above, um, he did. I mean, he went to public school. You know, he had a four-star general that was a C student in college. Right. That is a surprise. I, they did, as opposed to Condoleezza Rice, that uh, was completely opposite of that. Well, I guess that would make sense, because if you think about it, he's a first-generation American, you know, mm -hmm. born American, and, you know, his parents immigrated. And you, you hear stories where it's like, oh, man, you know, it, he or she just went for it. They just went for it. But for him... He was just an average kid. In a really tough place. In a really tough place, yeah. Yep. So talk about overcoming stuff. Yeah, wow. it's interesting. Well, And in his book, It Worked For Me, he attributes his success to hard work, straight talk, respect for others, and thoughtful analysis. You know, it really does come down to just simple things like this, right? Yeah, hard work. You know, he was willing to pay his dues and work for everything he got in life. Uh, straight talk. You know, really, this is huge for leadership, right? Because people have to trust you. And people are not going to trust you if you lie to them or manipulate them. It's just not possible. Right. You can follow them. You can do whatever. But you're not going to trust somebody that lies to you. With straight talk, and especially with leadership, do you? I know that's essential because I got to tell you, when you're that CEO or you're somebody of that higher echelon, I guess you would say, I always find it interesting that they don't mince words. Because they don't, they don't backpedal, they don't do this. And I'm not talking about politicians. I'm just saying that it's like, I need you to do this, or this is what is happening. Because it always seems like they don't have the time to mince words and 
play word games and things of that nature. Well, I think word games confuse people, right? I, and, I agree. And create chaos a lot of times. But I think it, I think straight talk and being honest with people and modeling the way and your actions being in alignment with what you're saying are, are probably the two most important things to the concept of leadership. Because again, people are not going to trust you. And trust is vitally important. It is the most important thing. It is. And in, in really any kind of relationship. But it, especially when we're talking about the concept of leadership, if people can't trust what you say or people can't trust what you do, they're not going to follow you. Very true. You I mean, can manage them, right? You can manage them. You can tell them you have to do this or you have to do that for whatever reason. And they'll likely do it because they want to keep their job or whatever. And they'll do just enough to keep their job. Right, exactly. <laughs> but you, you've got to lead from an example, an example of being honest and talking straight to people. So we got hard work, straight talk. What's another one? That Respecting you others is vitally important to people following you know, what you say and what you do. People will not follow someone that they don't respect. Again, that goes right along with trust. Mm-hmm. Um, you can manage them. But you can't lead them if they don't respect you. The last one you have is thoughtful analysis. Now, I don't, I've never heard this term before. What is that? Well, I think in, in analysis being kind of trying to look at all the individual pieces. Mm-hmm. So really kind of what we talk about all the time, think about what you think about. Right? Okay. Um, if we could all spend a little bit more time paying attention to what we really think and analyze of it, our actions are in alignment with those or are they in alignment with our values? I think it makes those other ones much easier because I think this one is really a check and balance to do people respect you? Do people trust you? Do oh. are, are you straight talking? I think you have to analyze what you're doing and what you're saying to figure out are those things in alignment with what I'm asking people to do? And are they in alignment with what I really believe? So it's basically giving you, like you say, that check and balance to think about were you being reactive to the situation or were you being proactive? I, I'm not really big or keen on that word, but it just gives you that, I don't know, it sounds like to me that if you can think about those things, then maybe you can do something different. Well, instead I think of just you being can see if you're not, because we're all have our moments of not being in line with what we do, right? Sure, we, yeah. We blow up at the ketchup dispenser at McDonald's. <laughs> you know, that's not what we want to represent out into the world, but we all do it. Mm-hmm. We all lie. We all... Um, you know, have things that don't go our way and we're not happy about it. We all show up badly sometimes. That's just part of being human. But I think it takes the analysis to say, okay, I need to apologize for that or that was a moment and, man, I need to do better next time, those type of things. That's where the analysis comes in. Well, and just to make it clear, we're not talking about dwelling because, you know, thoughtful analysis means that you're going to do something. Right, I, yeah, it's action. Yeah. Analysis of our actions, are, are they in alignment? So exactly, right. what are we going to do about it? You know, when you say I'm sorry, that doesn't mean you do it 10,000 more times. Does right. that mean you're going <laughs> to fail in the same way sometimes? Yeah, it takes a long time to change a behavior. But if you're going to say you're sorry, that means you're at least going to attempt to do better. Because then people, again, aren't going to trust you. Right. If you come back and say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. They're not going to trust that that's never going to happen again because likely until something in your action changes, it is going to continue to happen again. Right. Exactly. 100%. I agree with that. And kind of like we said in the Story versus Stigma show, which I just love that show, the theme of our life should show up to people in what we do and what we say in our life. That should be the goal, right? 
I mean, it certainly makes sense. You want you want people to know who you are, not your representative. I mean, sure, people that you just come in contact with, you're having a dinner party with, okay, you know. But, I mean, people that are in your lives, you, you don't want them just to see your representative all the time because, my gosh, is that tiring. Well, I don't think you're going to have any consistent people in your life if all you're coming at is your representative. That's true. Because people are eventually going to, what is the phrase, right, that you can fool some of the people all the time, all the people some of the time, but you're not going <laughs> to feel all the people all the time. Right. And I think that's true. You know, if you're coming at your representative all the time, Again, people aren't going to respect you. People aren't going to trust you. Well, I, they're and, not going to know who you are. Right. Well, and especially even with your stigma. If you're representing your stigma all right. the time, I, you will attract friends that have that same stigma, quote unquote. That's true. And you guys can be buddy buddy, but but if your story is just a representation of what you want it to be instead of what it is. Yeah. Then you, then that you you'll have nobody around you. That's right, and everybody understands that process, that moment of this is where I want to be, and I'm attempting to get there. People have compassion yes. and empathy, and will help you. Well, sure. They but will. if you have no action towards getting there, uh, that's not going to work well for you. I mean, not how many run. how many people have you known in your lives? Like, yeah, I, I wanted to be a doctor. Well, what happened? Well, you know, this, this, and this. Well, it's too hard. It's too hard. It's too long. (laughs) I mean, I get it. You know, I I wanted to be a doctor, you know, but I'm like, no, I never wanted to be a doctor because I understood that that's a lifestyle. That is not a job, you know. But, I mean, those are some of the things that always cracks me up when it comes to these things. It's like, if you want to get there, you can get there. And like you said, if that's your story because you had trouble, Colin Powell obviously did it. I mean, he was a C student and became right. a four-star general. So Exactly. So it, it's, it's possible. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like that's out of reach. That's one of these he's one of these people that he wasn't anything special. Yeah, and, and so I think that that's really And when yeah. he found his passion and he found his fit, then he became special. So we're going to go into the 13 leadership qualities that Colin Powell set forth, right? Yep. These are what he's talking about. So let's start out with number 1. It ain't as bad as you think. And it will look better in the morning. <laughs> he said, leaving the office at night with a winning attitude affects more than just you alone. It conveys that your attitude to your followers. Exactly. Mm-hmm. 90% of our reactions are subconscious, and they're based on those past patterns. Well, I mean, we've talked about that a hundred times, right? I mean, we've talked about the subconscious is just a, a huge pattern, and... That's what we go back to. That's what we lean back on is we start finding the patterns in whatever we're doing subconsciously. It does make sense that all of our experiences, is that's what our emotions are going to be, right, at the time. Right, and the fact that the brain actually processes the negative stuff first. That's right. So we see it first. Yep. That would make sense. If you're going to leave the office very defeated tomorrow, everybody's going to come in feeling defeated. Right, exactly. But if you can understand that tomorrow is a new day. Right. <laughs> you know, and even if it's raining, the sun's up, even though you don't see it. We're talking about Colin Powell. He was a four-star general. We're talking life-changing, crazy stuff. Stopping wars, finishing wars, right. you know, preventing wars. things. Right, right, right. You know, at your job, if we're talking about whatever it is, it's not that. <laughs> right, right. That's a great point. And he was able to implement this in his life. Uh, we, you know, I guess, quote unquote, should be able to implement this. Yeah, right, yeah. 
Yeah. The second one is get mad, then get over it. He said, instead <laughs> of letting anger destroy you, use it to make constructive change. Well, that goes back to the analyzation of it all, right? Right. And he, he doesn't say don't get mad. Yeah, that's impossible. He said get mad. Feel it, be it, but then move through it. Right. And understand what it's coming from. Because when the ketchup dispenser is empty, it's never about the ketchup dispenser. So you really have to define what is making me angry and then figure out a way to kind of move through it. So, you know, some of the ways to do that are to give yourself a break, right? You yeah, walk away. Kind of walk away. That moment that you just have to say something, as you say all the time, if you just have to, uh, don't. Don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> Regroup and come back to the topic later. One of the best ways is to take some deep breaths. Um, it really helps you get calm and get better perspective. Mm-hmm. Gives you a moment that you need to not say that thing. Research says that it takes eight to ten deep breaths to regain control of your emotions. I think this is especially important in today's age. Now that you're seeing a lot of got gun violence and things like mm. that that pop up, is because of the anger and the emotion just pops through. And I was telling my brother this the other day. I was like, if you can just take five minutes. Right. Think about what those five minutes could have done to change people's lives. People wouldn't be in jail. People wouldn't be dead. And we're, and we're not talking those extremes. We're talking about whatever your organization, household, whatever you're doing in your life right now. If you can take five minutes and regain... Well, what one a, word can destroy a relationship. Exactly. So if you, you know, can just stop one sentence sooner and just, yeah, take <laughs> that... I know, know that anger's true, and I know it's just bubbling up, and it just like, if it, it when you feel that, I just sit there and I think, man, if we could just step back, just step back at that that moment and take five minutes, it yep. could change your entire life. Yep, it I could. Agreed. Um, some ways you can do that of taking that five minutes are kind of exercise. Yes. Again, walk away, take a walk, uh, punch a pillow was one of the things. Mm-hmm. Uh, go work on something different. If something is really bothering you, some person is really bothering you, mm-hmm. go just completely go do something different. Work on a different project. Go talk to a different person. Call someone that calms you down. And, so. I mean, even for listeners that are listening to the radio show now, I mean, you're hearing a little hawk outside, and that yeah. might be angering you, but... <laughs> <laughs> you it's getting on our nerves. Yeah, it's getting on our nerves, but you know what? I mean, he's beautiful when we get to see him outside, right. and he lives in your backyard, so... But, but those are things that bubble up, right? I mean, you know, it's like, what is that, that noise? little thing yeah. under the surface. And, and again, that little picking. pebble. Yeah, yep. that's right. Um, another way that you can get back under control with your 8 to 10 breaths is to listen to music. Mm-hmm. One of the best ways, I think, to figure out what that little pebble is, um, of what that little thing underlying is at the five whys. Generally, if you yeah. can ask why, 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 why five times, you're going to get to the root cause. Ooh, that's a good that's idea. That's an 80s management tactic that I think uh, you've got all these other big name things now, but that is just as good. But in life or business, anything, if you go back five whys, you can generally find the root cause. Well, there we go. We're going to coin that. We're going to say <laughs> five minutes and five whys. There you go. You five know, minutes, we're five coining whys. that. <laughs> and one of the best ways to, and moving on to number three, is is to practice gratitude. Right? Absolutely. You can calm yourself down if you can think, find the positive in that person that's making you angry, in that situation that's making you angry. Mm-hmm. Um, find some little bit of positive. Take your eight to ten breaths. Go out for a walk. And regroup. Absolutely. 
The third is avoid having your ego so close to your position that when the position falls, your ego goes with it. <laughs> yes. So many people need to hear that. Yeah, he said, keep your ego in check and know that you can lead from wherever you are. Well, absolutely. But I got to tell you, it's one of those things that it, you see it rampant in business. I hate to say it, but for men, it is, <laughs> I, I, you know, I mean, I don't know what to say, but, you know, I have seen and I have worked at a job where their egos would not let them go further. Yeah. It just, it was like a brick wall. Then ego being how self-important you think you are. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I think a lot of that self-importance is the fact that you feel so little that you have to bolster yourself so big. Oh, sure. You know, I think people that have a lot of self-confidence and do feel important don't need to blow it out, you know, into the world. Or make people feel like that they have to you know, up your ego as, right, as it were. Right, right, right. I read a really good blog that said you can tell when your ego is in control. Oh, okay. Okay, and she said you feel jealous of the success of others. Mm-hmm. You always need to be right during a discussion. <laughs> You're closed-minded and think your way is the only way, and you want to win at all costs. I mean, that, that sums it up, man. So if you get in any of those four th- places that you get stuck that are very unattractive to people then you can pretty much identify that you're stuck in your ego. There you go. You can't have empathy for others if you're stuck in your own ego. That's true. You know, and I got to tell you, I mean, we didn't go into this, but yes, you know, we don't know how to tell you to work out of your ego, especially people that don't even realize they're doing it. Well, as I think it was uh, Michelle O'Mara said, we can't force self-awareness on ourselves. We certainly can't force it on anybody else. But when you're being self-absorbed, Right in yourself, and you have to have your way. You talk too much. You don't do actions of compassion for people, you know, and you don't let yourself be vulnerable. I think those are all ways that you can kind of pinpoint that. Mm, yeah, go my back ego to the is analysis. Kind of in control. Yeah, definitely. So let's look at number four. It can be done. It can. It yep. can be done. <laughs> Leaders make things happen, and if one approach doesn't work, they find another. Yeah. yeah. They think they outside it. the box. That's right. They get ideas from other people. Mm-hmm. They have a can-do attitude. They realize that failure really is a part of success. And they never give up because there's always a way, right? They there find some way. type of workaround, as you say, all the time. Absolutely. There's Life is a workaround. All the time. Everything. All the time. Yep. Yeah. I've not met one person that their life has gone exactly the way they wanted <laughs> right. it to. I mean... Yeah. Look at the look at the Royals. I mean, one's yeah. living in California. Did did he see his you know projection of life go the way he wanted it to? I mean, no. I mean, nobody's life does that. And with perspective, it's interesting that one of the things that I read was that you know we look ahead and we want those five dots to line up, and we work at lining those five dots up, and we mm-hmm. do all kinds of crazy things to line those five dots up. But then when we look back, um, all our dots are all over the place. So it's truly unrealistic to think that all of our dots are going to line up. Exactly. Never happens. Never happens. The fifth one is be careful what you choose. You may get it. Ooh, that's that's biblical there. He said your team will have to live with your choices. Do not rush. And again, from a leadership perspective, if you let your followers choose and you let them buy in 
right? You mm-hmm. let them make their own choices. You know, I used to say in consulting all the time, nobody knows how to do their job better than the person that does it every day. <laughs> so when your top, you know, down manager says, okay, you need to redo your job this way. Okay, that is not helpful because they've never even done that job. Just because they think that's the way it should be done, you need to ask yes. the people that do it. So, and you need to be respectful of what they what they're doing because that's it. How many bosses yeah. have you come? No, no, you're doing it wrong. You need to do it this way. Right. Okay. You need to do it the best way possible. And I have to say, I've been really lucky um, in my career that I I worked for some VPs that. They were just like, this is what you need to do. This is how much you need to increase. This is what you need to get done. This is how many students you need to have, whatever. They gave me some kind of criteria, and they like, you need to go figure out how to do it. That was a perfect scenario for me. That doesn't work for everybody, but it worked great for me. So right. That's what they're saying. Be careful what you choose because you just may get it. I think that's true in every area of our life. I can't believe it wouldn't be. Yeah. The number six is don't let adverse facts stand in the way of a good decision. Okay. Superb leadership is often a matter of superb instinct. When faced with a tough decision, use the time available to gather information that will inform your instinct. That was his quote, which I found quite interesting. We, you know, we say all the time, you know, don't let other people dictate how you show up in the world. If you know what's right, do it. Yeah. If then you figure out it's not, fix it. Apologize. Yeah. Kind of what we said earlier, pivot it to a different way. Um, search yourself and get feedback from those around you that you trust. Absolutely. To find out if what you're on track with is actually, you know, right. Because we fool ourselves a lot. Oh, absolutely. So getting feedback from other people, I think, is really important on this. Mm-hmm. But don't let just what other people say stand in your way. Because people are uh, people are going to be willing to do your laundry list anytime. Well, sure. And, you know, and I guess that goes without saying is if you're going to get the feedback, be open to it. Remember, right. if you ask a question, you need to be prepared for the answer. Right. Whatever that is. Right. Back to, <laughs> back to the five. That uh, be careful what you choose because you just may get it. Exactly. Um, number seven, you can't make someone else's choices and you shouldn't let them make yours. Kind of piggybacks on that Absolutely. last one. He said, while good leaders listen and consider all perspectives, they ultimately make their own decision, accept your good decisions, and learn from your mistakes. Yes, you got to own them. And that's true for your people, too. If you let your people make a decision, you need to support their decision. Even if you know they're going to fall flat on their face, if if it's not going to negatively impact anything, let it run the course. Yeah, and I guess for me, what number seven said, don't surround yourself with yes men. Or yes, people. Right, right, right. That's a great point. Uh, Yeah, because that's never going to get you anywhere. No. You want people to challenge you. You want people to make you a little bit uncomfortable. Successful life is... A life that you're uh, comfortably uncomfortable. Exactly, yeah. And even if you are a person of power like Colin Powell, where you have to make decisions, you have to have the other side. And you have to have somebody arguing that other side so then that way you can make a more informed decision. Now, ultimately, you may not go with that, but you need to hear it. You know, that's one of the things I read about President Biden, that he said that was his biggest role with President Obama, even if he didn't believe it, it was his job that he felt to bring that other side and show some different perspective. Again, even if that was not the choice that was chosen, or even if he didn't necessarily believe in it, mm-hmm. it was it was kind of his job, and that was how they kind of uh, worked together well, that he would present other sides of an issue, and then Obama would finally make the decision. And that's what you do, right? Yeah. Ask people for perspectives. 
Absolutely. Number eight is check the small things. He said followers live in a world of small things. Find ways to get visibility into the world. Okay, that makes sense. I think the the best way to do that is that you need to acknowledge people for what they contribute and understand that people's contributions are not equal. Right. I mean, that that's so true because, I mean, if you're talking about Barb in accounting versus the CEO, well, she's yes. dealing with an aspect of the business that has to be done. You know, same thing if you have a stay-at-home parent while you're out working. You know, you, you have the 50-foot view because you're bringing in the money, you're doing all these things, and... But that person is managing your household. They're taking right. care of the kids. So it, it, it's symbiotic. And I think that the, you have to think about those small things, or at least the people that are doing the individual tasks that make the whole. You know, don't minimize anyone else's effort. Exactly. Uh, including your own. That's true. Yeah. I can but see we that. do that all the time. We, we minimize our own. Yeah. We're like, yeah, oh, no, that, it's not that wasn't deal. that big of a deal. Yeah. Well, maybe it was. Maybe it wasn't. It doesn't matter. But again, as you said, your little piece contributed to the whole. And so that is a big deal. Right. And so right. don't minimize your efforts, but also don't minimize anybody else. Again, because it's people's efforts are not necessarily equal. As long as people are really giving their best and trying, that needs to be enough. And if it's not a good fit for them, you know, if you've got a good salesperson that's working in accounting and they're miserable, you need to move them back to sales. Right. <laughs> Right? So you need to find good fits for people. You need to find a good fit for yourself and how you can be successful. Work your strengths, not your weaknesses. Mm -hmm. And just appreciate the fact that it works. Absolutely. uh, And again, check the small things. Acknowledge people for what they contribute. Absolutely. And I got to tell you, number nine is a big one for me. I believe in sharing credit. Because how often do you get people that is like, yeah. I did that. Well, going back to the ego thing. But. Right, exactly. Well, and Colin Powell said, people need recognition and a sense of worth as much as they need food and water. Yeah, they do. That is true. And you're not going to keep people in your life if you don't let them know that you value them. Yeah, even in your organization. I, they will leave, and they're going to take staplers along with them. You that's exactly, well, and that's statistically true, you know. But you, you've got to let other people win. And you've got to create wins for them. Mm-hmm. And that was the biggest thing is me as a manager. Again, I let people, as best I could, make their own decisions and follow their own path. As long as it led to the conclusion that I needed for <laughs> to make me successful, um, I, I know that sounds terrible, but it's true. I didn't care how they did it. Well, you know? because people don't like to be managed or watched, I guess is the best way to describe it. Like for what yeah. you did is you're like, well, this is what you need to do. And I remember one time you said, yeah, I don't care if she's playing golf, just as long as these numbers come in. Right. And, and that's yep. exactly what you, it, when your manager came or your boss came to you, you go, well, what is she doing? Hell, I don't know. I don't care. Right. That, that, <laughs> I had that conversation more than once, and it was not very popular, that I would get a VP call me and say, so-and-so wasn't in their office on Tuesday when we dropped by there. Where were they? And my answer was, yeah, I have no idea. Well, those are your people. You need to know what they're doing. Mm, yeah, no. I mean, I don't. You, you asked for five percent increase. They're at nine percent increase in the last semester. I don't. I don't. I don't care what she's doing. <laughs> Obviously, something's something, right. Something. Something's working. Uh, she's almost twice what you asked, and she's you know almost twice what everybody else is. So yeah, she's out playing golf. I don't care. But acknowledge people. Share the credit. Let them have wins. Exactly. Their own wins. Um, it, it doesn't it doesn't count really. I don't think if 
their win is because you told them everything to do. Yeah. Let them have their own say and let people make their mistakes. Right. If it's not going to really be a huge detriment, let them fail. And let them have some ideas. You know, That's you right. never know. One might right. work out. Ten is remain calm and be kind. Absolutely. He said, few people make sound and sustainable decisions in an atmosphere of chaos. Establish a calm zone while maintaining a sense of urgency. Now, I don't think that people who are highly excitable are great to have in leadership. <laughs> uh, they may be okay in management, maybe. But, you know, the people that are going to pull the fire alarm are not the best people to lead. Because you people have to, again... They pay attention to you as an example. So you can't get overly excited. People don't like it when it's just we don't know. So you you have to know. Right. And if you don't know, you, you have to find a way to find out. But you can't live in a state of urgency. And how many organizations <sighs> live in a place of all they do is put out a fire? Yeah. Uh, tons of them. I mean, yeah. I've worked for several of them. And is it you're putting out one fire after another fire after another fire? You're not accomplishing anything. Right. You're, yeah. When you're barely keeping your head above water, that's <laughs> not being, I mean, successful. Maybe for a minute, mm-hmm. um, but not in long term. Right. Your business can't have a ton of chaos <laughs> and urgency all the time. No. Because then people stop paying attention to the urgency. And when you have something that really is a problem... There's going to be no sense of urgency to it because it's constantly been chaos the whole time. Absolutely, and that's true in our own life. Oh, one hundred percent. I mean, we can it's all clear in business, but if everything is an emergency, if everything is a drama, then when that moment comes that you really need to pay attention to this specific thing, uh, you're not going to be very successful. Yeah, you're not going to show up at it. That's right. So number eleven, have a vision, be demanding. I like it. Very yeah, he said and... followers need to know where their leaders are taking them and for what purpose. Mm-hmm. To achieve the purpose, set demanding standards and make sure they're met. Again, you need managers. Yeah. Right? That is a more of a management activity. But you can lead people, let them know what's going on. We, we've seen with COVID that if you are not honest pe- with people and you don't tell people what is the truth, then you are going to have conflict and you're going to have chaos and people are going to be fearful. People are far less fearful even if you tell them the worst news. At least they know. And again, now they trust you. They trust you that if it gets worse or it gets better, that they know they can trust you because you've told them the truth. Right. Even when it's bad. So to achieve purpose, you know, you've got to set those demanding standards. And you have to have managers well, that yeah, have you a have policy and procedure in place. Things. How do people move in that direction. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so managers, again, are very important. Um, leaders have to have good managers. Create a plan from what your followers see as the vision. Again, yeah. get their input. That is transactional or transformational leadership is finding a way to get their vision to align with yours and let them take you there. And I think one of the biggest things in this is it says that make sure that the evaluation of the standards are fair and include everyone. Yes. Yes. What is the quickest way to get your organization in chaos is to treat people unfairly. Yep. And treat people differently. This rule is 
good for this person, but okay, it's not really implemented with this person. Or this department gets to do this and this department doesn't. Right. If you can't articulate that where people can understand it and it's perceived to be unfair, that is not going to work well for you ever. So people have to be treated fairly and they have to be perceived that they're being treated fairly. And those things need to include everyone. Everyone. So number 12, don't take counsel of your fears or naysayers. Yep. That's, I mean, yeah, I mean, that, that totally makes sense. I mean, that's self-talk, right? That's right. But, he says successful organizations are not built on cowards or cynics. Right. No, they're not. They're built on hard work and people showing that they can model the way they're trusted, they're respected, and they show you a way with which to move forward. Absolutely. And th- th- what we're talking about is, is, and that counsel can be you, or it can definitely be people around just like, <laughs> you're never going to make it. You know, I mean, think about Colin Powell for just a second. You know, African-American man in the Army at probably times that where segregation didn't leave, even mm-hmm. though it was quote-unquote gone. Right. How many people told him, oh, man, you're never going to get you're never going to get there. You're never going to get there. So why keep trying? Most, probably. Exactly. As a C student exactly. from Harlem. Right, exactly. Most. Uh, but he didn't listen. He didn't listen. He didn't and take he counsel And he forged ahead. And I think, too, when we're talking about, you know, your people that are fearful and your naysayers, they may have temporary success in the workplace and on you, mm-hmm. but it's not going to last in the long run if you keep forging ahead. And that's the key thing. How many people have said, oh, I don't think you're going to make it. And for a minute you believe them, but mm-hmm. then you took another step forward and another step forward and another step forward. And then you're like, wow, maybe I can do this. Right. Um, or replace those naysayers with people who believed in you. Or Yeah. And move on. But I can right. guarantee you people like that never with an organization that long. These are people that are there and then gone. Well, the 13th one is perpetual optimism is a force manipulator. He said, if you believe and have prepared your followers, your followers will believe. Now that goes yes. back to everything you were saying. Yep. Everything, because they, they, they trust you. Mm-hmm. And if you say, we're going to make it, and they trust you, then they're going to believe you're going to make it. Right. But if you there's a you know something out there that maybe you won't make it, or people really need to know that, man, this is a, a real problem, and you're honest with them, they're still going to stick with you. So then next time when you say you're going to make it, they're going to forge ahead. Exactly. So this is that was the number one thing that I did in my whole career at the, at the women's prison and working with basically freshmen on main campus was there belief that they were not going to make it yeah you know i've never done this i don't know how to do it i don't know i don't know i don't know i don't whatever i don't but if you can force optimism and you can model that people are going to believe you and they're going to go a step further and a step further and a step further and all of a sudden they're down the road i i totally make sense and it gives people hope that's all we need. Sometimes exactly. that's all we need in that moment. Well, there you have it, folks. The 13 leadership rules of Colin Powell. And you wanted to end with a quote of his, didn't you? I did. It says, it was only once I was in college, about six months into college, and I found something I liked, and that was the ROTC. And I not only liked it, but I was pretty good at it. 
that's what you really have to look for in life. Something that you like, something that you think you're pretty good at. And if you can put those two things together, then you're on the right track and you just have to dive on. Yes, that, that is that, as clear as can be. You've got to find what it is you like. If we say all the time, if all you're doing is focusing on your weaknesses to get better, you're never going to be more than mediocre in life. God did not create us to be mediocre. He no. created us to use our strengths, maximize those strengths, and be a change in the world based on who you are and what you do, not what somebody else does. Absolutely. So find the things that you like, that you're pretty good at, and go for it. Well, we are about out of time for this show, and we wanted to thank Colin Powell for putting this list out because it was pretty fascinating. So, And he's a fascinating man. He is a fascinating man. I, and it's great to know that he was an average man. So we can all be... For everybody that was quote-unquote average out there, there's a path for you, obviously. Again, with his advice, finding what you're good at, finding what you like, and finding a way to make a living at it. We're about out of time for this show, and we wanted to thank everyone for listening. And you can catch us at our website, livingonpurposepodcast.com, or any of the podcast platforms. Just search Living on Purpose Podcast with Dr. Christy Stewart, and make sure you give us a like or hit that heart button or whatever that is on that podcast platform. It really helps us move up the list. And sign up for those notifications wherever they're at. That way you will be notified when a new show hits. It really helps us move up the search list by liking us. And if you do have a comment or a suggestion, we definitely want to hear from you. So make sure you hit that as well. And until next time, live every day of your life. On purpose. On purpose.